So as you know, we are in a series called uh, Christmas According to, and so we've been inviting uh, from the past some very important figures from the Bible to come and share about what Christmas means to them. And so we've heard from Adam, and we heard from Abraham, and tonight, if you would uh, join me in welcoming Moses. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here in Alaska at Clearwater Church. What a privilege it is to be a part of this series. And uh, I am Moses, and some of you might be uh, expecting me to be dressed in robes or something. Of course, this is 2018. Here we are in America. Uh, leaders of nations dress like this these days. I tried to tell Abraham when he was planning to come here last week that uh, he was way out of fashion in that robe and that he was going to look a little silly in America in a robe, but he wouldn't listen to me. He wore his robe last week, but, but uh, I have chosen to uh, adapt to the current uh, fashions. But I've been asked to come here today to tell you a bit of my own story and about how I think about Christmas and what Christmas is according to Moses. So I'm going to fill in a bit of the story, going back to, uh, to Abraham's story, and fill in the gap there until I came on the scene, and then tell you about my experiences and how I relate to the Christmas story. So Abraham told you the story last week about the child of promise, who he long waited for, and eventually his miraculous son, Isaac was born, who was the, uh, the, the, the child that God had promised and through whom uh, God had promised Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that promise was then uh, given to Isaac, and then it was passed on from Isaac to his son Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, Jacob changed, uh, his name was changed by God to Israel, and so all of his sons became the children of Israel and later became known as the nation of Israel. And uh, Jacob's 12 sons, uh, he had one son that was his favorite, like really favorite. Uh, his name was Joseph. And, uh, and the, uh, Joseph's 10 older brothers were not very happy about the way that dad favored Joseph over them. In fact, they were so unhappy with Joseph, uh, one time when they were all far away from home, they grabbed Joseph and, uh, and decided that what they would do is they would sell him to some passing slave traders who were on their way to Egypt. And they took Joseph's uh, fancy cloak off of him and they dipped it in blood and took it back to their dad and said, look, dad, it looks like uh, wild animals must have killed Joseph. And, uh, and Jacob believed them. And uh, meanwhile, Joseph was taken to Egypt and sold to an official in uh, the court of the Pharaoh. But even though things were looking really bad for Joseph, God was with him. And he stayed faithful to God, and God stayed faithful to him. And through a series of... Uh, of interesting events that you can read about in the book of Genesis. Uh, Joseph became second in command of all Egypt. 
He was a great official in the government there in Egypt. And um, some years later, there was a great famine in that whole region, Egypt and all the other areas around. And Jacob and uh, all of Joseph's brothers were still uh, there in the land of Canaan, but the famine was there. And through another whole series of interesting stories, they all came down to Egypt, where Joseph had been given wisdom from God to prepare properly for this famine. And so there was food in Egypt. And so all of the people of Israel, that is, Israel himself and all of his family members all came and settled in Egypt at that time. And things went very well for them there. They had many decades and, and, uh, and generations of good living in the land of Egypt. They were considered a privileged people because Joseph was such an uh, important person in the court that, uh, that they were his relatives, so they were given land in which to, uh, to live. And uh, here's what I wrote about this time in, uh, I wrote several sections of the Bible, but this part uh, that I wrote here, I said this, I said, uh, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So the small nation of Israel, remember going back to Isaac, he was the only one son of, of Abraham, the son of the promise. But now his descendants were numerous living in Egypt. Unfortunately, these good times did not last. Here's what I wrote about that. I said, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. This was actually uh, a couple of centuries after Joseph's time, so he was ancient history. And uh, people might remember the Pharaoh from a couple hundred years ago, but they don't remember the second in command. And so Joseph was no longer remembered. And the Pharaoh, it says, uh, Look, Pharaoh said to his people, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they flourished and multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. This was a terrible racial slavery in which all the people of Israel were slaves to the people of Egypt. And this went on for centuries. Generations and generations of the descendants of Abraham living as slaves and being mistreated in Egypt. And yet, they continued to multiply. 
So much so that the Pharaoh continued to fear them, but now uh, he knew that the Israelites had reason to be against the Egyptians because they were so mistreated, and now they really feared that this numerous people who were living right there in their own land might rise up against them. And so the Pharaoh had an idea. He needed to reduce the population of Israelites. And so this is what he did. He passed a law that said all male babies born to the Israelites must be thrown into the Nile River. So many, many beautiful little boys were thrown into the river and died. And this was the time, during this time of this law, was when I was born. But I was saved by the wisdom and the sovereignty of God. See, my parents, when I was born, of course, they loved me and they didn't want to throw me into the Nile, and so they hid me. But after a while, they realized, hey, we're not going to be able to hide this baby forever. Uh, we got to do something. Uh, and so what they did is they threw me into the Nile. But they cheated. <laughs> they put me in a little reed boat and put me in the calm waters near the edge of the Nile where the reeds were so that I could float there in a little boat. And then they planned to retrieve me uh, later. But through the sovereignty of God, I was found there by an Egyptian. And not just any Egyptian, it was uh, one of Pharaoh's own daughters found me in that basket floating in the Nile. And she took me in and adopted me as her adopted son. And so I grew up in the court of the Pharaoh, uh, being educated in the ways of the Egyptians and living that life as a, uh, a member of the royal household. But all along I knew, and everyone knew, that I was not an Egyptian, that I was a Hebrew. I was just a Hebrew who had been adopted by the daughter of the Pharaoh. And then later when I was a man, I tried to help my people. I tried to uh, reduce the abuse that they were suffering from their slave drivers. But my efforts backfired on me. And I was forced to flee from Egypt. And I left home and went out into the desert. And when I was out in the desert, wandering around all by myself, I came to a well. Wells are very uh, valuable spots in the desert. Everyone goes to the well eventually. I went to the well, and there I met um, a band of uh, traveling herdsmen. And I... Uh, eventually moved in with these people. They were Midianites, and they were nomadic herdsmen who lived out in the desert, traveling about with their flocks and herds of uh, sheep and goats and things. And I settled down there. I got married. I had children. I lived there for 40 years. As a, a, I was a Hebrew, but I lived as a Midianite. I was married to a Midianite, part of a Midianite family, worked for my father-in-law, Jethro. At that point, I thought that was my life. I had no further ambitions to do anything else. This is where uh, fate had uh, brought me, and so here I was, living in the desert, tending my father-in-law's 
flocks. But here's something that I learned after that 40 years living in the desert. I learned that we must always stay open to the call of God on our lives. Here's one period. The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God chose me to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt and to lead them back to the land of Canaan, the land that he had promised to Abraham, that he would give it to him and his descendants. And this is how God let me know that I was chosen for this. One day I was, I was out tending the, the flocks in the desert, as I usually did, and I was, I was in the southern part of Sinai, near the mountains, and I saw in the distance a, a, a bush that was on fire. Now that's not all that unusual. It's a very dry place, uh, very hot, and sometimes uh, the, the little shrubs uh, catch on fire and, and burn up. But this one, I noticed after some time that it, the, the fire wasn't going out. It was just continuing to burn. And it burned and burned, and the bush never seemed to be burned up. Well, I was a little ways away, so I, had to, I, I walked over to get closer to where it was so I could take a look at this thing and figure out what was, what was happening there. And as I got closer, I heard a voice. And the voice called me by name. And it told me to take off my sandals because the place where I was standing was holy ground. And then the voice said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I hid my face because I was afraid to be in the presence of God. Then God told me that he had seen the abuse that his people were taking as slaves in Egypt and that the time had come for him to free them from slavery. And, that he, and then he told me that I would be the one who would do it. I was amazed. I was just a shepherd living out in the desert. And I resisted God's call on my life. But God reassured me that he would give me the ability to accomplish great things for his people. I asked him his name, and he said, I am who I am. God is the God who exists. He exists before all else, and He is the creator of everything else that exists. And that God told me to return to Egypt and to find Pharaoh and tell him to release God's people from slavery. So I went. And of course, Pharaoh refused. This is what Pharaoh said. He said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. 
I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But God had given me a sign to prove that I wasn't just a slave coming and asking for my freedom, that I had the authority of God with me. The sign that he gave me was uh, to throw a staff onto the ground, and the staff would turn into a snake. And we did that for Pharaoh, so that he could see that, uh, that there was supernatural power beyond, uh, behind our request to go. But Pharaoh was not impressed with that, and he refused to listen. Then came the plagues. There were ten plagues altogether. The first ones were uh, not as bad, and they got worse as they went along. The plagues were a demonstration to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and also to the people of Israel who had been living in Egypt for 400 years, uh, and it, this was to demonstrate to them that God had not forgotten them and who God was. So many of the plagues were direct attacks against the false idols of the Egyptians to prove that God was real and that the Egyptian gods were powerless. For instance, they worshipped the Nile, and so God turned the waters of the Nile to blood. They worshipped Heket, who was a fertility god whose idols were shaped like frogs, and so God sent a plague of frogs. They worshipped Hathor, who was another fertility goddess who is often depicted as a cow, and so God sent a plague on all of their livestock so that many of their cattle died. They worshipped Ra, the sun god, and so God sent a plague of darkness a darkness so thick that you could feel it with your hand. There were nine plagues that uh, came on the Egyptians. And at various times, Pharaoh thought, okay, okay, I'll let you go. But as soon as the plague came to an end, he said, no. I changed my mind. You can't go. And each time I came to him and asked for Freedom for God's people, he said no. Why didn't the Egyptians let us go free? Well, there were a number of reasons, but some of the reasons were that they were greedy. As uh, hundreds and thousands of slaves, we provided a lot of wealth with no pay to the Egyptians. We built things for them, we worked in their fields. They didn't want to give up the wealth that we produced. They were prideful. They thought of themselves as superior to the Hebrews, and they weren't going to listen to the demands of any Israelite person. They were, they were the superior race, and so they should be able to rule over us. They also had no regard for God. They didn't care at all that God wanted his people free. And so, God sent the tenth plague. The tenth plague was a punishment for the Egyptians for their sin. The plague was that God sent the destroying angel to kill all the firstborn males in the land. 
firstborn males of all of their animals, and also the firstborn sons of all of their households. But God provided a way for the Israelites to be saved by sacrificing, instead of their firstborn sons, they could sacrifice a spotless lamb as a substitute. And then we were given instructions on how to treat that lamb and how to apply the blood of the lamb as a covering and atonement for our sons so that the destroying angel would not take the lives of our firstborn. We called that the Passover because the destroying angel passed over the houses of the Israelites who had the blood of the Passover lamb. After the death of all the firstborn sons in Egypt, Pharaoh and the Egyptians had had enough. In fact, they begged us to leave. They paid us to leave. And we left. We left Egypt. And some of the Egyptians uh, who came to see that God was worthy of worship came with us as we left. And we left our land in in Goshen, in a part of uh, Egypt, and we started to travel toward Mount Sinai. But on the way, we came to the shore of the Red Sea. And while we were camped there, near the shore of the Red Sea, Pharaoh, one more time, hardened his heart and changed his mind and decided that he wouldn't let us go after all. And so he gathered his army and his chariots and pursued us and caught us there at the Red Sea. And because the sea was there, there was nowhere for us to go, and the chariots were coming. And I'm sure that Pharaoh's plan was to kill most of the men and bring back the rest to continue to be slaves. But God provided one more great sign and miracle and saved us from the Egyptian army by parting the Red Sea so that we could walk through on dry land with a wall of water on either side. And after we had crossed the sea, uh, the Egyptians arrived and saw the scene and said, well, if they can go through the water, so can we. And they attempted to pursue us. And God caused the sea to close in on them. And they drowned. And we were free. God had used me to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. But at Christmas, at Christmas, a much greater deliverer and savior arrived. Jesus delivered the people in a much greater and more significant way than I had. God used me to free the people from political and economic bondage. But we still needed a greater Savior. Let me tell you what happened after we crossed the Red Sea. You see, there was a real sense in which we were very much still slaves. The curse of sin that came to all of us through Adam and Eve's failure was still with us. 
and we were still slaves to sin. We had many, many problems on our journey to the promised land. I'm just going to mention a couple of them. First, uh, when we were got low on food, not long after the crossing of the Red Sea, the people started complaining to God. Here's what they said. They said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Their gratitude for God's saving power, all the miracles that they had seen was gone. They thought, sure, they were just going to die. Then God, of course, uh, was merciful to them and provided them manna from heaven. That is a bread that appeared, a type of a grain that would appear on the ground and we could grind it and bake bread with it. It was, it was a miraculous provision so that we could live in the desert. He also, when people thought they didn't have, uh, they were tired of all the bread, they said, we want some meat. God provided quail who came so that we could eat uh, some nice fowl. Sometime later, we were running out of water, and the people complained again. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And God, of course, provided for them again. He was merciful again, and he provided water from the rock so that they had to drink. And then we finally arrived at Mount Sinai. It takes a while to get there when you're traveling with so many people and tents and things, but we arrived at Mount Sinai. And while we were there, God revealed his will to me. And he revealed to me how we were to behave, how we were to worship God. He showed me the plans for the tabernacle and the system of sacrifices and priesthood and everything. He also showed, us, showed me his, his moral will for his people. And he taught me how we were to live now as the new nation of God, now that we were free from the Egyptians. Because this took a little while. In fact, I was up on the mountain with God, just me and, and my uh, assistant uh, Joshua. We were there for more than a month. And the people were camped at the base of the mountain. And the people were not patient. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron, my brother, listened to them. So he took up a collection of articles of gold, jewelry and things, melted them down, and made a golden calf. And this golden calf, he set it up on a pedestal and said, this is the God who led you up out of Egypt. Let us worship him. And so they held a big festival to worship this idol. And right at the time that they were having a giant party in their worship of this idol is when I came down the mountain and I found them doing this. Now, in those days, uh, I had something of a temper. In fact, it got me in trouble a few times. But at this time, my temper served me well, I would say, and I put a stop to the worship of that idol. In fact, I burned it 
put the ashes into water and made them drink it. And then I said to the people, I said, uh, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And I went and I prayed to God, and he forgave them. But you can see from these stories that even though we were free from slavery to Pharaoh, we still had a major problem with sin. God had used me to deliver His people from one kind of slavery, but we still needed someone to deliver us from sin. And that is what Christmas is to me. Christmas is the coming of the greater Deliverer who saves His people from slavery to sin. And this is all described in uh, my friend Paul. I've got to know him over these years uh, waiting for uh, Christ's second coming. My friend Paul wrote this in uh, the book of Romans, his letter to the church in Rome, chapter 6. Here's what he says there. He says, um, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness." See, when Jesus defeated sin on the cross, He made it possible for people to be freed from slavery to sin. Without Jesus, we are unable to serve and please God. But now, we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, are free to obey God and to live according to righteousness. Romans goes on to say, I'm using an example from everyday life. It was everyday life for those people, slavery and, and seeing how slavery operated. It's a little different today, but I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus has delivered us from sin and death. We now are free from the punishment that we deserve because Jesus has taken that punishment on himself. Now, thanks to the Deliverer who came at Christmas, we can receive the free gift of eternal life.
The challenge now for those of us who are free from sin is to live like we are free from sin. Uh, Paul puts the conclusion of the matter so well. Starting in verse 12 of uh, Romans 6, he says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law that need to serve sin. We are free to serve God because Jesus came and delivered his people in a so much greater way than I delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us freedom to live as your people, to be free not just from the punishment of sin, but free from slavery to sin so that we can live for you. I pray that you would continue to enable us to make this a reality in our lives more and more. Amen.